snatch the pebble from my hand. When you take the pebble from my hand, it will be time for you to leave. Coming to you from the Philadelphia area. This is the Westchester Church Podcast. Remember always that a wise man walks with his head bowed, humble like the dust. Throughout the years, we have seen a commercial that has aired after Super Bowl, where in all of these ads, they ask the quarterback who has just won a Super Bowl the exact same question. Joe Montana, Brett Favre, Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, Nick Foles, you just won the Super Bowl. What are you going to do now? And the answer always is, I'm going to Disneyland. And, and as we come to Exodus chapter 15, we see a nation that is coming out of half a millennia worth of slavery. We see a people who are tasting freedom for the very first time in their entire lives. And if we could have been there and asked them that, that you have just been set free out of Egypt and out of the hand of Pharaoh, what are you going to do next? The answer would have been, we are going to the promised land. A land flowing with milk and honey. And I mean, there is so much elation that is welling up in their spirits that they just just laps into a spontaneous musical in the Red Sea. Exodus chapter 15 and verse 1, they begin singing out loud to God, that I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. And what they say in verse 2 is that the Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. This is my Father's God, and I will extol him. Verse 11, what they say is, Who is like you among the gods, O Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in praises, working wonders? In verse 18, what they sing to him is, is that the Lord shall reign forever and ever. And so for, for a good, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes, maybe even half an hour, we see the Israelites so exhumed in... Or, um, so consumed in a spirit of worship that, that they're just singing, This is my God and I will praise Him. This is my God and I will praise Him. Him away, Him away, home. I mean, just, I mean, I, I mean, ecstatic elation is what we see out of, out of the Israelites. Well, the Israelites cross over the Red Sea and they begin venturing into a wilderness that lies in between Egypt and into the promised land. Throats sore from all of their worship that they have sung at the top of their, their um, voices. And as they venture into the wilderness, they go three days and three nights without anything to drink. And now all of a sudden what we see is just three days later, all of that worshiping that we saw happening at the Red Sea now, that is drastically beginning to change. Just 72 hours after God has parted the Red Sea and delivered them out of slavery, 
we see and we witness them go from glorifying now to grumbling, from praising to complaining. In this exact same chapter of Exodus in chapter 15, we come down to verse 24, and this is what is also in this exact same chapter, where it says how the people grumbled at Moses saying, what shall we drink? And you know, as we read this, our initial response to it is that, you know what, this is very understandable actually. These are the necessities of life that we're speaking about, where if we don't have these, these necessities, we're not going to survive. We're going to perish. Now, they have gone three days and three nights without any water to drink. And medically speaking, it is at least, it is believed that at about three or four or five days, give or take, this is when the human body begins going into organ failure. What we need to understand in Exodus chapter 15 is that the Israelites are very weary. They are dehydrated and they are now in a flight or fight mode where we've got to get some water in our bodies or we're going to drop dead out here. And yet after they have grumbled to God, God once again performs yet another miracle. He provides for them. He tells Moses to grab a log and to throw it into um, bitter waters. And miraculously, it becomes clean and sweet water. Everybody drinks and they're like, oh, now that is all better. And they go a little bit further into the wilderness. And, and once again, God um, has now provided all of these springs of water. And, and again, everybody drinks and it's like, oh, all better now. We've got no complaints now. Well, we come into the very next chapter, into chapter 16, and now they have yet another need, and it's, well, we're hungry now. Chapter 16 of Exodus, verse 2 says that the whole congregation of the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The sons of Israel said to them, would that we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt when we sat by all of those pots of meat. When we ate bread to our full, but Moses, you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Well, God provides for them once again in miraculous fashion. He literally causes bread to come down out of the heavens. Everybody eats and they're satisfied and it's like, ah, oh, all better now. We've got no complaints now. We come into the very next chapter Exodus chapter 17, and now there is yet another need, and of all things, it is thirst. And it's like, this sounds a little bit familiar, doesn't it? It's like, haven't the Israelites just been in a situation where they needed something to drink? God had provided for them in, in a miracle. And yet, sure enough, chapter 17 of verse 2 says that, Therefore the people quarreled with Moses... And they said, give us water that we may drink. Well, notice on this occasion how it says that they are, are arguing against Moses, who was their brother. Well, God, once again, he provides for them in a miracle as he causes water to spring out of a rock. Everybody drinks and they're satisfied. Oh, all better now. And yet what we see with the Israelites, though, is that God, 
he's performing one miracle after another, but they are just never satisfied with God. And it kind of blows our minds how they have seen one miraculous act of providence after another from the hand of God. They were in Egypt where they remembered all of the plagues falling upon Egypt, and yet God had spared them. They remembered how just a few weeks ago now, perhaps, God somehow caused an entire sea to, to stand up in one giant heap as they had safely been rescued in that way. They have tasted with their own tongues and taste buds bread that has come down out of heaven, water that somehow came out of rocks. And yet it seems like all these people do is grumble and murmur and moan and whine and complain and argue for what they do not yet have. We read this and we wonder, I mean, how is this even possible that they were just gravitating back to complaining so much? I mean, how is that even possible? And yet, what did you complain about last night? What did I complain about just three hours ago this morning as I woke up? You know, these Israelites, all they really knew about God was as far as Exodus chapter 16 and 17 will take us. And that was a lot to know about God. And yet you and I know all the way from Genesis to Revelation. We know about Abraham patriarch. We know about his, his holy prophets, about Christ Jesus coming to the world and, and his apostles in the church. We know that in the beginning, God was, was, was there before a world was even created, all the way to Jesus saying, I am coming soon. The Israelites cried out for um, a physical food and water in the wilderness. In our wilderness, we also cry out to Jesus, but, but he has given us true and living water, he says. Water that is so holy that as we drink it, we will never again thirst. He's given us bread of life. He's, he's made we ourselves his holy temple where he is always dwelling with his people. God rescued the Israelites out of captivity of Egypt and King Pharaoh. God has rescued us from the devil himself. and From the penalty of sin. And so on Sunday morning, all of the church is seeing, this is my God and I will praise him. This is my God and I will praise him. And yet just three days later, or just 72 hours after we, we had sung, this is my God and I will praise him, we are staring into a mountain of overdue bills that we have no idea how it's going to get paid. And then on that exact same day, that $1,200 state tax bill hits the mailbox. And the only thing that we can say is just negative words and emotions. Or maybe um, a power goes out in our house for, for a couple days and we, we have to throw $160 in groceries right into the garbage can. And we want to put a fist through the wall. 
You see, so often our giddy Exodus chapter 15 worship service at the Red Sea, so quickly it becomes grumbling, negative noise pollution, doesn't it? I mean, it is the easiest thing in the world for us to sing, this is my God and I will praise him at our Red Sea experience as we come up out of the waters of of our baptism. Yet Jesus is wanting a church. Jesus is wanting followers, apprentices, and his disciples to be those who sing, This is my God and I will praise him, even in the middle of our wilderness, when we have no idea where our next meal is coming from. When we have no earthly idea, no clue how our our debt is going to get paid even if we can only muster a whisper amidst our tears, this is my God, and I will praise him. That is what Jesus wants more than anything from us. You see, in so many ways, to grumble is absolutely human. And yet this is really a beautiful thing about Christian following and of discipleship, is that none of this is normal human behavior for us. It's all about coming to Jesus for a mind and a heart just like his. You see, because there is a darkness to complaining. When we have a spirit that is is very complainive, we have a heart that is being made in the image of, of entitlement. Where what the attitude was of the Israelites is whenever there was any kind of discomfort, What their attitude then became was, well, Moses owes us, right? Either God is going to give us exactly what we ask for when we are going to demand it, or he's just not God anymore. When we have a spirit of entitlement, it's never good enough what we receive from God. I remember how later on, as the Israelites are even... Um, more so into the wilderness, they, they reach a point where they begin grumbling again about their food. They say, well, if only God would just give us meat to eat. All that we have to look at is all this manna. And why won't he just give us meat like we had in Egypt? We would eat fish in Egypt for crying out loud. And you know, that, that attitude of entitlement, that is as American as apple pie. And yet complaining also inflicts a spiritual amnesia in us too. Where the attitude of the Israelites, it it really shifts from, this is my God and I will praise him for all that he has accomplished in my past. And now what the attitude is, as we read about them in in Exodus and, and in other books, is that, God, what have you done for me lately though? What have you done for me lately? And yet it gets even worse, though, because grumbling is utterly satanic in nature. When we complain and complain and complain, that is absolutely satanic. Because if the evil one is not lying, what is he doing? He is voicing accusations. We remember what he was doing in the Garden of Eden, don't we? As he's trying to convince Eve that that God is trying to hold back from you. God doesn't want you to be happy or smart or wise. 
And so you need to show God who's boss here. And after they had sinned for the very first time, we can hear the devil's words coming out of Adam's mouth. Where now he is blaming God. He's saying the woman you created and you gave to me is the reason why I have sinned. And it's so sad that that is exactly what has happened to the Israelites now. Or on another occasion we read of in the book of Numbers, where it says that the whole congregation, as they can actually see on the borders of the promised land, now it says that the whole congregation begins grumbling against God this time. Oh, that we had just died in the land of Egypt. And then what we hear is the devil's words coming out of their own mouths and their hearts that why is the Lord bringing us all the way out here just to be killed by the sword? And so a decision is made. Nope, we might as well just go all the way back into Egypt where we came from. Yet another occasion, we actually see the Israelites grumbling aloud in their tents against God. And listen very carefully to what they say in Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 27, where they say with their own mouths Satan's words that because the Lord hated us, because God hates us, he has brought us all the way out to Egypt just so he can give us into the hands of the Amorites and to destroy us. And when we reach a point where we are grumblers rather than glorifiers and complainers rather than praisers and worriers rather than worshipers, what our attitude screams to the heavens is that, God, you're not doing a good enough job as God in my life. And the really concerning thing about grumbling and complaining is that it stirs up the anger of God. We remember how, I mean, it goes on long enough in Israel and God reaches the point where one day 14,700 people dropped dead because they just simply could not stop grumbling and murmuring and moaning and whining and complaining and arguing. And yet every single time that I remember what happened on that day, 14,700 people died as a result of negativity and complaining. What registers in my mind is that that would have been me if I were there. How about you? Thank God for the grace of Jesus Christ. You see, because... Really, the worst thing about complaining is that complaining is a foretaste of hell. Because all, all hell ever is and ever will be is grumbling and murmuring and moaning and whining and complaining and arguing and screaming and cursing in the flames. When we have a heart that has been hijacked by, by groaning and by worrying and by complaining about everything and by arguing, it now has distorted our, our, our whole entire prayer. Now we are no longer praying to Jesus. Now we, we are actually praying to the evil one. Where now what our prayer is, is that your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in hell. 
I mean, complaining is dark, dark, dark stuff. And yet, most importantly, and last of all this morning, the reason why we need to to absolutely crucify our lifestyle of complaining and of a negative spirit is because not complaining is a proof that we are disciples of Christ. It's what we read of in Philippians chapter 2 as we find the Apostle Paul, of all places he is in prison, as an innocent man awaiting a capital crime or um, a consequence for, for um, crimes that he never even committed. And it's the kind of verse that we have such a hard time holding on to, it seems like, as we have this love affair with grumbling and complaining. And yet notice what this convict who is wrongfully accused writes in Philippians chapter 2, verse 14. As he says, O Christians... Do all things without, notice, without grumbling or disputing. And he gives a reason why. So that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights shining in the sky. Do all things without complaining or arguing, he says. Now, this does not mean that we avoid those, those very awkward, uncomfortable conversations that, that are very necessary for us to have with other people sometimes. He is not saying, thou shall not ever decry any kind of sin or any kind of danger or any kind of injustice that is in the church. If that had been the case, then the prophets, apostles, and Jesus himself would have been wrong as they had done so. But rather, what this is in reference to, this is an attitude. This is a very intentional lifestyle. This is a spirit where we look at all of our circumstances in our lives and we paint them all with, with a black brush. It's the way that we look at our brothers and sisters in Christ, at our elders, at our ministers, at our ladies, at our widows, whoever it is, at, at all non-Christians even. And we only see them in a negative connotation. This is that individual who goes into a restaurant looking to have a bad experience. It doesn't matter how good that, that food is or the service is. They're just going to make one complaint after another just so that they can go online afterwards and leave a negative Yelp review. This is that, that co-worker almost all of us have had before where they can't stand seeing everybody happy at work, but they rather what they do is file one grievance after another in the hopes of making everybody as miserable as they are. As Paul says, do all things without grumbling or disputing, it's the exact same word that we find in the Gospels. As Jesus heals a man who had a withered hand on, on a Sabbath day, and yet scribes are over here murmuring about Jesus, grumbling about him. He violated the Sabbath. He's a lawbreaker. He is immoral. He's got a demon, all of that stuff. It says, as they are grumbling against Jesus, Jesus is looking at them. He's got anger in his eyes. 
This is the exact same word as it says in dispute that we find as the apostles are, are having a very heated argument about which one of us is going to be the greatest. Jesus says, you guys don't even get it, do you? Look at all these children over here. This is who is great in my kingdom, he says. Well, I, I came across a quote of a writer whose name is Mel Robbins, and she had written a book called The, the Five-Second Rule. She has dealt with a lot of anxiety and procrastination in, in her, her professional career before. Slowed her down for, for many years, but she wakes up one morning. For whatever reason, she has NASA on her mind. Or any time that, that a shuttle it, um, is launched into space, every single time is a five-second countdown. Five, four, three, two, one, and then launch. And what she had discovered is that if she counts down five, four, three, two, one, what that does in her mind is that it psychologically pulls her together. It helps her to navigate and to tiptoe through all of the garbage that was in her mind that, that I, I feel absolutely hopeless. How I can't do this, this job. How I need to be all, all day long in a panic. And I need to be complaining about everything. She says that it's so simple, but it's so effective and powerful where she had discovered that in a medical sense, that, that when we do this 5-4-3-2-1, that it literally outsmarts our nervous system and it creates new behaviors in our brain that actually help us to become more, more effective and productive in what we do. And yet I look at me and I, I have so much anxiety that I need a 10-second rule, you know? So I, I started doing this not that long ago. In all these situations where I just freeze in the moment, what it means is that I, I just count back 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, and so forth. And as I'm doing this, I am mentally stepping back, slowing down all of my, my um, quick thoughts. And I'm just looking around at where I am and whose um, child I am. See, if the Israelites had a 10-second rule, it would have been much, much, much greater, wouldn't it? Where it's like, we are dehydrated right now. We need to drink water or we are going to die. That's absolutely true. But in Egypt, did God spare us out of the plagues? Well, yeah. What about the Red Sea? Go back and envision what happened at the Red Sea. Well, God had rescued us in dramatic fashion. Wow, so if God was able to actually part the Red Sea as he provided for us, then won't he also give us a drink of water today? And of course, the answer is going to be yes. Yes, he will. You know, how about us? As we receive a notification on our phone that that Amazon package that you know we waited for all weekend is, is not going to be arriving at our, our, our house until one day later. And we are just fuming inside because we're not going to have it right now. Step back. 
slow down all of those negative thoughts. Ask yourself, have you noticed that house that you've been living in all these years? Oh, yeah. Have you noticed that, that really nice, nice car sparkling in your driveway? Yep. It's got a really nice stereo in it, right? It's got air conditioning. It's got heat inside of it. It's got a full tank of gas, right? Yep. When was the last time you had to walk in order to get to work? Well, it's been so long, I can't even remember. Then it becomes, thank you, Lord. Well, maybe we are in that, you know, um, a nice car and we're driving around and somebody cuts us off. We want to go 15 rounds with that guy right now, but, but slow down, <laughs> step back, look around. Ask yourself, were you just killed in a fiery auto accident? Well, no. Are you still alive? Well, yeah. That guy cut you off, didn't he? Yes, he did. And yet, is that going to matter when the world's on fire? Well, no. Is it going to matter three weeks from now? No. And so should it matter right now? And what it becomes is, thank you, Lord, that I'm still alive, at least. And as for all of these lingering threats in our life that don't just go away immediately, and it seems like, you know, how long is this going to go on? Slow down and ask ourselves, did Jesus walk out of his own tomb? Yes, he did. Is he reigning and ruling right now on his throne? Yes, he is. Well, this problem is, is absolutely overwhelming. Yes, it is. And yet, does this problem have the ability to defeat Jesus Christ? Or to dethrone him as Lord of Lords and King of Kings? Not a chance in the world. What am I worrying about? Why have I been complaining so much about this? You see, what this instills in our, our minds is gratitude, joy, peace, contentment. But, but more than anything else, what it does is, is that it restores worship in our souls. It takes us back to Exodus chapter 15. You see, this is when we are actually able to be slow to speak, slow to anger, and quick to listen. And quick to remember all the incredible things God has done for us. This is when rather than, than saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink? What our instant response now is going to become is, I'm just going to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Because I believe and I trust that all of these things are going to be added unto me. You see, when we live with, with a 10 second rule. That keeps Exodus chapter 15 going, and we are still praising God, even in the wilderness. It takes the Red Sea experience with us, and it remains in our hearts in the days ahead. You see, Israel did not look like God's holy nation when they were complaining and when they were arguing with each other. We do not look like Jesus or, or his church when we are complaining or when we're arguing. You see, when we have a constant spirit of negativity, of complaining, we are concealing the glory of God in us underneath a basket. 
We are sitting on a hill that has now gone dark. And yet when we live with a 10 second rule though, that is when our complaints once again become praise. And when our grumbling once again goes back to being glorifying in our God. And so what I want to invite us all to in the days ahead is just simply that. Simply remember to remember what God has done for you in your past. Slow down. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Look around. And you will not believe at what you are going to notice. It's something that I had experienced just um, a couple weeks ago. As a result of Amanda's condition, we have been ordering all of our um, groceries here at the house. And yet our delivery driver, for whatever reason, left out an entire bag of groceries, roughly $20 worth, worth of groceries missing that, that we paid for. This has always been one of the most common ways that I have exploded in negativity. And yet, it was one of the rare times I remembered, stop, slow down, 10, 9, 8, 7, 6. When I did that, I looked around, and staring back at me from, from our couch was bag after bag after bag after bag of the groceries which had arrived. And what registered in my, my mind is that every single day, I have been praying that God would provide our daily bread. And he has just given us a weekly bread. No, we're going to be just fine. And all of that is going to, it's not even a problem. Well, I go to Giant on Boot Road early Sunday morning at 6 a.m. I get everything that, that had not arrived at our house the, the night before. And yet, it's been a long time since I've been in a grocery store, so I put in a lot more, more stuff in the cart than, than I knew we had money for. And I get to the checkout line, and I'm just wincing because I know we don't have the money for all this food, but I did it anyway. Well, I, I scan everything, and what the computer says on the self-checkout thing is, your total is three cents. My head shoots up. It's like, wait, what? And sure enough, on the screen, it says that, that all of these groceries cost three cents. Well, this can't be right. So I called an employee over and I said, okay, it's, it's, it's messing up. It says that we owe three cents. Obviously, that's not how much I owe. And yet the guy, I mean, looked at the screen, he looked at the cart, looked at me and said, nope, that is the right price, sir. I gave the guy 27 opportunities to say, oh, Actually, you are right. It's, it's not three cents, obviously. But no, sir, that is what, that's how much it costs. If that's what it says, that's how much it costs. Now, a lot of people are going to say that's just a coincidence. If you ask me that question, though, is that a coincidence? I believe that is no more a coincidence than Abraham finding a ram that was caught in its horns on Mount Moriah. I believe this because it was an area in my heart that needed drastic transformation where it felt like it was, it was a test just the night before by God. You can disagree if you want to, but I believe, I will go to my, my grave absolutely believing, convinced that God made that cash register malfunction. 
I believe that God commandeered that, that employee's mouth and his mind as he said, it's not, out of, um, it's, it's not unordinary at all to do, ever charge somebody three cents for a trunk full of food. I believe that was God's way of saying, thank you for not freaking out like all the other 300 million times that you did freak out. Amen. Hey, by the way, David, you should do that more often. You see, it's what happens when we step back, when we slow down, and when we praise instead of complain. Well, as this Apprentice series comes to a, um, a close this morning, what, what Jesus has said to us in this series, that is, if anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself daily, lift up his cross, and follow me. We heard Jesus say in John chapter 8 that, that if anyone abides in my words, you are truly my my apprentices, you're going to know the truth and that truth is going to set you free. He said in John chapter 15 that my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Um, he tells his apostles that if you love one another as I have loved you, all men are going to know that you really are my, my children and my followers. We heard Jesus say last week that whoever comes to me and loves father, son, wife, and his own life more than me is not worthy of me. And at last this morning, what we hear from the Apostle Paul is, do all things without grumbling or disputing, so that you can prove that you are the sons and the daughters that you claim to be. And at last, as Jesus says, that, that a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, after he has been fully trained, he or she is going to be just like the one who's taught them. My brothers and sisters, let us no longer be church members or converts. Let us be apprentices and disciples of Christ Jesus.